Well, thank you, Pastor Joe. It's always a privilege to, to bring God's Word to you. And it's wonderful to see all the children here this morning. It's, it's fun to, well, it's fun to fellowship with you after the service as we typically do throughout the hallways and such. But it's nice to, to worship as family. God has, um, God has created the family uh, as a way to glorify Him. And, and it's great to, to worship and learn from uh, God's Word together as a family. Well, as you've seen, uh, today is our, our, the Thanksgiving service, the week before Thanksgiving. Um, and so it's good to be reminded about what Thanksgiving is and what, what the heart of Thanksgiving is. And that's, that's what will be our topic of application as we look to God's Word this morning. Um, but Thanksgiving, at least for me, and I know for many of you, it marks the fun time of the year. I mean, there's other times of year that are fun, like summertime or, you know, the, maybe for some it's the first day of school. For me, it was the last day of school. <laughs> But Thanksgiving for me marks kind of the beginning of the Christmas season. In my family, we kind of had this, these kind of rules about when you could listen to Christmas music, when you could watch Christmas movies, and Thanksgiving was the day. You, you couldn't listen to anything before or watch anything before. And so there was kind of like this anticipation. Now, uh, my wife kind of caught me cheating this year because I had been watching those kind of cheesy Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel. They start them earlier and earlier every year. Which is fine with her because if it was up to her, we'd be singing Christmas carols and opening gifts in October. So, but for me, the anticipation builds and I'm excited that, that Thanksgiving is here and that, that, that Christmas is here. And so I see lots of uh, children here. So just help me out a little bit. How many of you are excited for Christmas time? If you're young, yes. Some hands quickly shot up. Yes. And my wife as well, I see. Well, it is fun and, and it's a time of excitement and, and, and kind of looking forward to that, that time of season. Um, well, this morning we're going to look at a man who was also excited about event. It wasn't a season or holiday. It was the chance of meeting someone. And although he didn't know it beforehand, this meeting, this, this perchance meeting would radically change his life forever. So as we begin, as we look into God's Word this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. kind of give you some just kind of background or context of what's going on as we as we jump into this passage here at this point in the gospels we are at the very near end of Jesus's ministry he had just recently raised Lazarus from the dead and because of that the Pharisees and the religious rulers were seeking to kill him so after he did he'd done that he left the area went up to Ephraim then Samaria and then up to Galilee where probably with his disciples he he got together with his friends and family and began the caravan back from Galilee back to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so he got together with them and started the travel, started the journey back. It would have been a long journey. And so this is where we pick up the story. And, and as he travels back from uh, Galilee, uh, they're going to go through uh, the city of Jericho. And after he passes through that, he's going to go th- to Jerusalem. And at that time, he's going to experience the triumphal entry and then the Passion Week. So really, we're just uh, a matter of days or you know, a week or two before um, Jesus is crucified and then, then raised again. And this is where we pick up the story. The normal, tra- the, the normal traveling routes for the Jews would have been to go from Galilee uh, through Jericho. That was a normal, it was a, it was a big city. And that's where we pick up the story. Luke 19, will begin in verse 1. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house tonight. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's bow in a word of prayer before we begin as we look into God's Word. Lord, as we come before Your Word, uh, we are reminded of Your goodness to us, Lord, and we know that uh, Your Word is living and active. Pray, Lord, You be with us and help us to apply Your Word to our life in a way that is pleasing to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as I mentioned, this story begins with Jesus passing through. He's, he's probably traveling with his disciples, his friends, his family. And they're on the long road to Jerusalem. And so they get, in the beginning it says that Jesus was passing through Jericho. And Jericho is, I think, about 15 miles uh, east of Jerusalem. So a little a ways to walk, not very far by our, by our standards. But if you were walking, it would take you a little while. And then it begins, and Luke starts, literally says, Behold! There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And these details are important because they tell us a lot about who this this man Zacchaeus was. And what the people of the town would have thought about him. Because it's no secret, the people back then, like people today, they didn't like paying taxes. Right? It's It's not uncommon for that. And the Jews at the time, they were ruled by the Romans and they were forced by the Romans to pay taxes. They didn't necessarily go to uh, pay for the police or the fire department, maybe like uh, your taxes, your parents' taxes might today. But they went to pay for the Roman Empire and for all the different things. A lot of the money they didn't even see. And so to the eyes of the Jews, if you were a tax collector, you were working for the enemy. And the way the Romans would do it is they would hire local people in the area to collect taxes from them. So this, these would have been Jews collecting taxes. And so from the eyes of the Jews, a tax collector was a traitor to their people, working with the enemy. They were the scum of society. And to make matters worse, the way that tax collectors often made their money was what... The Romans say, okay, you need to collect this certain amount. The tax collectors would collect more, and they say, no, we need to collect this. And then they would keep all the difference for themselves. And Rome didn't mind as long as they got their money. They didn't care. And so not only were tax collectors working for the enemy, but they were extorting money from the people. And um, as we see, like here and many other times, tax collectors were often rich. And so the Jews, the Jews did not like tax collectors. Because they were wealthy, because they were working for the Jew, for the Romans. And so they often just gave them a title and they said they are a sinner. And that was, a, that was kind of a, they all knew everyone was a sinner, but that was like a, a mean title for tax collectors. They are sinners. And Luke notes that this man Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And a chief tax collector would have been in charge of a bunch of other different tax collectors in that district, all of which would probably be paying him as well. So when the Jews saw this man Zacchaeus, they would have seen a man that's not only working for the enemy, not only as a sinner, but one of the sinner's leaders. 
He was very rich, and, and most likely people in the town um, did not like him at all. He was a sinner, and in the eyes of the Jews, probably hated by God, he was a sinner of the worst type. So we see Jesus enters Jericho, and Luke records a very curious sight. He notes that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. See, Zacchaeus certainly had heard of Jesus, probably. He'd heard about the miracles that he'd done. he just raised somebody from the dead. In fact, on the way to Jerusalem, as he was just outside the town, Jesus had just healed a blind man. So really, just moments earlier, Jesus had just healed a blind man. And Zacchaeus hears about it. Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth is coming into town? I want to see him. We don't really know what stirred his heart to want to see him. Maybe it was these miracles. Maybe it was that Zacchaeus heard that one of Jesus' followers named Matthew used to also be a tax collector. Yet Jesus loved him and, and accepted him. We don't know what it was. But what we do know is Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus had a problem. And Luke records it. In verse 3, He says that Zacchaeus wanted to see him, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Zacchaeus wanted to see him, but because of all the large people, because there was a crowd, he couldn't. Now I'm sure it's never happened to anybody here, but sometimes when there's a large crowd, if you're not that tall, it's hard to see things. And so Zacchaeus didn't know what to do. So he he couldn't see him, so he ran ahead and he climbed a tree. And this is, this is amazing on a couple of uh, levels. One is that men back then in that culture, they didn't run. It's not as if they didn't have the ability to run. Indeed, they could run. But it was not dignified for a man to run back then. One of the reasons was is because of the clothes they wore. You've probably seen the pictures in Sunday school or in, in Atlas. They, they kind of wore uh, longer robes at times, even as some cultures do today. And so in order for them to run, he would have had to hike up the bottom of his robe, above his knees, and kind of run like this. And it would have been indecent. His legs would have been exposed, and it would be look silly. So men didn't run. And if they didn't run, they certainly didn't climb trees. So we have this curious side. I mean, even today, if you see, let's say you go down to Bellevue and you're watching the Snowflake Lane Parade and you look up and there's, you know, some, an older gentleman, Uncle Don, up in a tree. <laughs> you'd be like, that's strange. Hi, Uncle Don. I'm not saying you would do that. I'm just saying it would be strange even from our eyes, which doesn't have, there, there's, there, there's no harm in that, where back in the culture where Jesus was, it would have been, in a sense, shameful for him. It's not the case for us today, but back then it was. And this just would have all went to show, you know, the Jews seeing that typical. Here's this sinner, this tax collector. He's running through town. Has he no shame? And now look, he's up in a tree. There's no way God loves this man. He goes against everything we think is right. And this is where we find Jesus walking by. Jesus walks, he's amongst a big crowd. People hanging on every word. People just saw him heal somebody. People had heard his teaching. And he walks up as he's going and he suddenly stops. And he looks up and he sees a man in a tree. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't mock. He doesn't ignore him. He stops and says, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your home tonight. 
This is the only time in Scripture that we see Jesus inviting himself to be the guest of somebody. And Zacchaeus must have been shocked. Here he is up on a tree. He knows he's a tax collector. And he hears Jesus command him to come down. And he thought, Me? Jesus of Nazareth? This man wants to stay with me? And Luke records that he hurried down and he received him with joy. All the while, the people around were grumbling. Jesus, don't you know who this man is? He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. Well, Jesus knew full well who he was. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus had been the guest of a sinner. In fact, he made a habit of it when he could. It was, it was on the same topic of, of spending time with sinners that the Pharisees confronted him in Luke chapter 5. And they say, why do you spend time with sinners? To which he replied, someone who is well doesn't need a physician. It's those who are sick that need a physician. I, I haven't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And that's what he did. And that's what he did for Zacchaeus. We see that Zacchaeus had him in, and after some time of spending, um, hearing from Jesus... Hearing the words of Jesus and spending time, we see that Zacchaeus repented of his sin and turned to God. He became saved. And as a result of becoming saved, as a result of the change that took place in his heart, he stood up in front of his whole house, in front of everybody who was there, and said, Behold, Lord. Now he doesn't just address him as Jesus. Now he's addressing him as Lord. He says, Behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus. For you are now a son of Abraham. That's a strange response. It's a strange response for Jesus to say, You are now a son of Abraham. What does he mean by that? It's funny, he doesn't say, Well, now because, you have, uh, because you've done these things, you have salvation. But he says... For you are now also a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was already Jewish. He was a Jewish man. His name's Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. He was Jewish by blood. So what did Jesus mean by he saying, You are also a son of Abraham? What Jesus was meaning is now Zacchaeus was not only a blood relative of Abraham, he'd become a spiritual relative of Abraham. And that is only possible if you have faith. Like Abraham, if you believe God. Because we're not saved according to our blood. We're not saved because we're Jew or Gentile or Greek or Chinese or Canadian. It doesn't matter. What God wants is your heart. And he saw a change, the Lord saw a change in Zacchaeus' heart that he believed in God. And so now he, he, he openly proclaimed, You are a son of Abraham. You are saved. You have faith like Abraham. And Paul talks about more about what it means to be a spiritual child of Abraham in Romans chapter 4 and in chapter 9. But we see an example of it here. Like Abraham, Zacchaeus believed in God. And in Zacchaeus' context, that means he believed that Jesus was Messiah. And it had come to pay the penalty for his sin. And because of his actions and because of his faith, Jesus openly declared, You are a son of Abraham, Zacchaeus. Salvation has come to you. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it's simple. But what is the story about? Is it really about a, a small man who had to run and climb a tree and, and who did a many good things? What this story is about 
is this story tells of a camel who goes through the eye of a needle. You say, what, Pastor James? I didn't see a camel. Needles are small. How how is that possible? Well, you see, just a chapter previously, in Luke 18, Jesus Jesus had the opportunity to meet a, a rich young ruler who wanted to be his follower, but decided not to because he couldn't let go of his money. And as a result, Jesus says, how difficult it is for those that have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. His disciples heard this because in their eyes, rich people were close to God because God blessed them with money. That must mean they're pleasing Him, which we know is not true. And so they say, a rich person, it's hard for them. Who could even be saved? To which the Lord says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And we see it here. The very next chapter. The very next chapter we see a rich man, Lazarus, and not even, a, not even a ruler and a respected man of the Jews, but a tax collector, a sinner, turning to God and being saved. This story is about the glory of God. If God can do that for Zacchaeus, if God can do it for a man like that, He can do it for you. He can do it for any one of you. This story points to God's glory and power and the hope that we have of salvation and forgiveness of sins, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter how bad you've blown it. If you turn to God, you can be forgiven and restored. It doesn't matter who you are. You can come and be cleansed and receive salvation. This passage is about the glory of God and and working in people's hearts. And as a Christian, I, I hope this truth resonates with you this morning as we think about Thanksgiving this week. As we think about how God has worked in your life, if you know Him, how He's, He's turned you and forgiven you of your sin, of which was much, as is the case of all of us. We remember what God has done for us, and He's turned us and saved us when we didn't deserve it. And I hope you set some time aside thanking God for accepting you and for loving you and giving you a living hope. And in considering Thanksgiving, just as we we close, a a couple of practical principles we can glean from this passage, which I think will be helpful. Because it gives us a wonderful insight into what is the heart of Thanksgiving? What does Thanksgiving look like? What should Christian Thanksgiving look like? Because as you read this passage, one of the big questions that people often ask is, well, why did Zacchaeus forsake so much of his wealth? We don't see Jesus commanding it. In fact, God doesn't command, you know, God doesn't desire that you give half of what you own in order to be saved. He never commands that. We're saved by grace. So what drove Zacchaeus to give away so much of his money? And the answer is simple. He was thankful. He was thankful. His heart had radically changed and he was thankful to God. And so I want you just to see quickly two important truths that should encourage thankfulness in your life. Thankfulness in the lives of your family. The one is simply put that thankfulness should characterize the life of every Christian. Thankfulness should characterize the life of every Christian. The first thing that Zacchaeus did when he was saved, he demonstrated thankfulness in his life. And that's why Jesus knew he was saved right away. He he knew his heart. He knew he had faith. He sees the fruit of repentance and thankfulness. He can easily openly proclaim, Zacchaeus, you're saved. 
Salvation has come to you in your house. It's a natural characteristic for one who is saved. In fact, the Bible says that lack of thankfulness in your life is a characteristic of a non-believer. Non-believers, they, they are the ones who lack thankfulness. Paul says in Romans 1, speaking of unbelievers, they say, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking. Does giving honor and thanksgiving to God characterize you? Does it characterize your life? Would people say that you're a thankful person? This week, usually Thanksgiving involves uh, saying a, a little bit longer of a prayer before you eat and then eating probably more than you should, which is okay. It's all right. But it should serve to remind us that Thanksgiving should define your character. And I encourage you this week to, to commit to that. Are you a person that, that, that Thanksgiving flows from your life? Because unfortunately, many people, many believers, they don't reflect this. They struggle with this. They say they're a Christian, and so they might be. But they reflect an attitude of indifference or a grumbling spirit. Or they complain about things as if life is a series of one annoying events after another. God has given you so much. He's given you homes. Most of you, jobs, clothes, family, freedom in this country. None of it you deserved. Better still, forgiveness of sin and hope of eternity with Him that can never be taken away. The things of the world can be stripped away, but that can never be taken away. Thankfulness should characterize your life as a Christian. And as people who are not thankful, they're walking like the world. Unthankfulness, is it's, that's quite the opposite of what Zacchaeus says. And the second thing is this, as we close, that thankfulness is not simply an attitude, it is a lifestyle. And what do I mean by that is, thankfulness is not an emotion, thankfulness, Christian thankfulness is made up of actions. It's not just something you say, it's what you do. Zacchaeus' life had been radically changed. He went from being a wicked sinner to being cleansed from his sin to being reconciled to God. Zacchaeus knew where his life was heading, knew what he deserved, knew what would have happened if he hadn't found God, and then met Jesus, got saved, and he was grateful. He was grateful, and in light of his salvation, he declared, "If I, Lord, if I have defrauded anyone... I'm going to pay him back, and I'm going to pay him back fourfold. The Old Testament law mandated that if you defrauded someone, you had to pay him 20% additional. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay him 400%. And Jesus didn't command this. This came from his heart. Because there's no doubt he was a tax collector. He, he, extorted, he extorted money from many. There's no doubt he defrauded many people. This, this statement would have cost him a lot of money. But his thankfulness to God made him want to forsake his sin. It wanted him to eradicate the very thing that had been keeping him from God these many years. He wanted to make restitution. I think that's what the world misunderstands so much about our faith. Is that they think that we live a bunch of laws as if we're trying to please God. In fact, I, I knew a friend in college who said, you know, I know I should probably go to church, James. I think it's good, but if I do, you know, I'm going to have to give up using foul language and drinking, and I'm not really sure. I just have to follow all these things. And part of that's true, but I, I told him, you're missing the whole point. The reason why I obey God 
The reason why I follow after Him is because I'm grateful for what He's done for me. I'm living a bunch of laws because I have to. I'm carrying a yoke. If I mess up, then God will be angry and then maybe I won't make it to heaven. That's not it at all. I live a life of obedience because I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Like Zacchaeus, are you thankful to God? And is your thankfulness to God motivating you to eradicate sin in your life? It's a good reminder to us. The famous Puritan Thomas Watson said, If you wish to be thankful, get a heart deeply humbled with the sense of your own vileness. A broken heart is the best instrument to sound forth God's praise. He who studies his sins wonders that he has anything at all. It reminds us we have a lot to be grateful for. And Zacchaeus didn't stop there. In addition to forsaking and eradicating the sin in his life, what else does he do? He stands up and he says, Behold, Lord, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. See, the thing was, before he met Jesus, Zacchaeus was living and trusting in his money. That's what he loved. He was rich. He was working for the Roman government so he could make money. And God saved him from the sin. And once this happened, once God changed his heart, and it should be said of everybody here listening who is a Christian, once, once God changed his heart, the things that he clung so tightly to in the past suddenly became unimportant in comparison. This money that I had loved and was storing up, now in light of my salvation and what God has done for me, what is this? The God who has done so much for me to provide for what I couldn't provide for, how could I not give to others and provide for what they can't provide for themselves? Zacchaeus' thankfulness poured out into his life. Thankfulness begins in your heart, but it should pour out through your life so the world sees and feels the effects of your thankfulness. For a Christian, thankfulness is not simply an attitude, it's a way of life. It's a motivating force in all that you do, it should be. Because a life of thankfulness is one that is full of love of God and worship. So this week, as you spend some time with your families, with I encourage you uh, young ones as well, as you think about what the Lord has blessed you, let that motivate you to not just be thankful in your mind, but let it pour out into your life so the world sees your thankfulness. And it's not just a, I'm thankful or I'm a smile, but it's through action. Because obedience is thankfulness, and we serve a good God who has blessed us with so much. Hasn't He? Let's think about these things and, and be thankful this week. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks, Lord, for your word. We give thanks, Lord, for saving men like Zacchaeus. Father, who we know is really no worse than any of us. Father, many of us have done uh, many sinful things, and yet you have loved us and forgiven us if we have faith in you. Lord, I thank you for the life we have through your Son and the hope we have of eternity with him. And I pray, Lord, that the world would see our thankfulness and give and bring you much glory. Father, bless the families this week as we set time aside for thankfulness. And be pleased with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.